Hi, this is Adam Markell, author of Pivot, The Art and Science of Reinventing Your Career and Life. And you're listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringel. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringel here, host of My Quest for the Best, the podcast for ambitious small business leaders. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished experts who want to share their knowledge and experiences in order to help you be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating toward more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Join me today is Adam Markell. As a keynote speaker, transformational leader, and business mentor, Adam guides individuals and business leaders to capitalize on change and magnify their impact. After building a multi-million dollar law firm, Adam became CEO of one of the largest business and personal development training companies in the world, overseeing more than $100 million in sales. Adam lives in Encinitas, California. Adam lives in Encinitas, California, and is here to talk about his book, Pivot, The Art and Science of Reinventing Your Career and Life. Welcome, Adam. Hey, it's great to be here with you, Bill. Thanks for having me on the show. It's a blast to have you, Adam. Tell me, when you were growing up, who's someone who influenced or inspired you? My grandmother. You know, it's it's always probably a, a pretty good list of people that had either a positive or a not so positive effect on, on on a person's life. But for me, my grandmother was really special, and and I look back on on those days and miss her greatly. And probably the most important thing that I can recall from that relationship was the how great a listener she was. And right now, in business and in so many areas of my personal life, that's a skill I'm always working on. But I remember my grandmother was just a wonderful listener. And that that was really helpful to me, especially at a stage in my life where I was trying to work things out for myself and figure stuff out and to have somebody that was there fully, just really holding space, listening, supporting. I never doubted her unconditional love for me in those moments. Grandmothers know things. They know things that we don't even have any idea of when we're growing up. I remember my grandmother would teach us how to go to sleep and we would go upstairs and go to sleep. And then I wanted to step because a little bit older than my brother. And she would say, well, just go upstairs. So he sleeps with you. And then as soon as he's asleep, you could come down. You never think of these tricks, but grandmothers teach you things like that. It's called wisdom, Bill. What do you remember? <laughs> what What do you remember? Either some wisdom or life lesson that you were left with, some memory that is indelible in your mind from your grandmother. She's just very thoughtful about things. And and obviously in the world that we're living in right now, things move at such a lightning speed and the pace of life seems to just get faster and faster. And in the work that I do both as a business owner and in working with others, mentoring other small business and not so small business owners or operators, I find that the pace of life gets in the way of good decision making. And so one of the things I recall just about my grandmother's example was how deliberate she was at making decisions. And I realized, of course, having written a book called Pivot and being a serial entrepreneur since I'm about 15 years old, that we've got to be able to make good decisions quickly. We've got to be able to be agile and, and flexible and all that kind of thing. And yet what I often see are decisions that are made in haste and sometimes poorly executed decisions are, are the result of just being hasty, being too quick. So in this Let me moment, jump in. for me and for other people, I'd say the best thing we can ever do is take a nice deep breath, at least a deep one single deep breath before you respond or react or make a decision. So Adam, I have to ask you, can you remember a time earlier in your career when you were 
faced with making a decision and rather than making a hasty decision, the lesson from your grandmother came through and you were able to take that deep breath somehow before you made a choice. I'd love to say that was the case, but more often than not, I was a quick reactor. In fact, I spent, so part of my story, my pivot story, if you will, having written a book about life transition and career transition was that I I spent 18 years as a lawyer. I was a practicing attorney in New York and New Jersey, a litigation attorney, and that quick to react was pretty well suited, I think, to that profession for me as a sort of a professional warrior. But it got me into trouble as well, and and it also made me quite miserable. I, I was very easy to anger. So I would say I didn't learn that lesson from my grandmother early on and more or less remembered it, recalled it, and started to apply it in my life when I got past the age of 40. And when I pivoted out of this practice of law that was really causing me a great deal of discomfort and, and even misery, as I said earlier, and, and moved into a very different space of both my professional life as well as personally. Adam, that's so interesting. So you wouldn't consider yourself someone who makes knee-jerk reactions today. You you can tell when you need to make quick decisions and when you need to be more deliberative, right? Yeah. I, I think the goal in many ways for me has become to be able to make spontaneous right decisions. And I know that's an interesting term to unpack, but basically it, it means that I'm alert and prepared to make decisions in the moment without feeling as though I'm being reactionary. And sometimes when I realize that I'm not prepared to make a decision in the moment, I've learned the power in the pause. And uh, we can get into that a little bit later when we talk perhaps about resilience or about the work that, that our company does in the world. But pausing is so important. If, if people listening to this right now, just remember that one thing, the power of the pause, I think it will really pay tremendous dividends. So that's what I do these days. If I'm not prepared to make a decision, if I haven't thought about it ahead of time, or I don't feel like I'm just equipped to come from my heart and make a grounded decision that I would call a spontaneous right decision, then I, I simply punt. I say, I'm going to think about that. I'm going to sit with that. I'm going to process that. Whatever the case might be, I might say nothing even. And I just pause. And that pause could be momentary. It could be minutes. It could be hours. It could be days even sometimes before I'm going to respond to something if I don't feel like I can do it from a place of, of heart-centeredness, a place of compassion. Adam, tell me, when did that change? If you gain this ability now, do you remember the moment when you said, you know what? I really want this capability. I'm tired of being angry. I'm tired of being reactive. It served me well to get to a certain point, but now I want to go to a different destination in my life and in my career. What was the turning point for you then? It was a trip to the emergency room on a Saturday morning when I was supposed to be at my son's baseball game. And instead I was lying on a gurney thinking I was having a heart attack, feeling as though my heart was beating on the outside of my chest. And I was just in a really dire strait in a situation where I didn't think I'd actually see my kids again that afternoon. And it turns out out, as you could imagine, that it was not a heart attack. Doctor told me later that day that what I was experiencing was an anxiety attack, was a panic attack. It was brought on by a lot of stress and not really taking great care of myself, but mostly just not managing my stress very well. So Adam, what's really interesting to me is what went through your mind when you were either heading to the hospital or in the recovery room. People often make promises to themselves that they're going to change. And oftentimes those promises aren't followed up with, but you did follow up with the promises. So I'm really interested to get a little bit of 
an insight into what that dialogue or that internal dialogue was like. Yeah. It went something like this, Bill. I I walked out of the hospital holding my wife's hand and it it had been a harrowing day. She and I both, when we heard the news from the doctor that I was going to be all right, I just remember us both crying. Couldn't even stop because it was so, I felt so badly. I was embarrassed, of course, but I also felt as though I had, I'd just been blowing it. I'd been blowing it in terms of what I planned for my life to be. I was super successful by anybody else's definition. I was a very successful attorney. I had my own law practice. I was earning a lot of money and we had. I was in a great relationship and fortunately still am married to my college sweetheart. We have four healthy children and all of that I had going for me then, but yet I still felt miserable and I was lying in that bed that day thinking, I, I just can't believe that I've let it get out of the, this far out of hand that I ended up here. And so when I I walked out of the hospital holding my wife's hand. I looked up at the sky and I said, thank you. I didn't just say thank you. I said, thank you, God. And I didn't use those words. I wasn't very religious at that time. I'm still not. I'm quite spiritual, but that was just not a term that would have likely come out of my mouth. And yet spontaneously, that's what I said, because I realized that I'd been given a second chance at that moment. It was like a reprieve and an opportunity to, to do something differently, to change something. Of course, to be perfectly honest, I had no clue what to change. We could get into that a little bit, but but in that moment, I just knew that something had to change and I wasn't sure what it was. That was your moment of resolve. You may not have known that what needed to happen differently, but you made a resolution at that moment when you were you were weeping and you were giving gratitude and you said something that's not never going to be the same again. And that is a really powerful moment. It reminds me how your commitment, one of the things you're known for, Adam, is always looking to close gaps and open hearts, whether you're speaking, whether you're coaching, mentoring people. You're always committed to leading meaningful conversations that uplift others so that they can make those choices and thrive in their businesses and lives. So do you, when you were making this this point in your life, and it was a huge pivot point, you would say, what were some of the things that you realized that you needed to learn in order to achieve the life that you wanted to reclaim? Because you had a vision for it and you realized that there was a gap. I needed to, I need to live a different way. I need to live less reactively. You must have recognized that there were skills that you needed. What were one or two of the skills that you needed to learn in order to live the life of your and have that higher level of satisfaction? Yeah, in all honesty, Bill, I don't know that I knew at the time exactly what those skills were. And so I was very much a seeker and I started reading some great books and those books helped me. And I think in part has been why my journey has included authorship. Mm -hmm. My dad happens to be a fiction writer, a creative writer, and, and I always looked up to him and still do as somebody that just had this great knack and this great skill for writing, creative writing in particular. And for me, I never saw myself that way. But what I did see was that that I benefited so greatly from the books that I was reading at the time when I was suffering or suffering at that level. And so I, I've wanted to fill that gap not only for myself, but for others since then. So I did write a book called Pivot, The Art and Science of Reinventing Your Career in Life, which tracked the the very tangible steps that I took to do something differently, to start to do things differently. And then ultimately that process, that foundational process, put me on a very different trajectory in my career and in my personal life as well. And more recently, we've got a book that's coming out this year called Change Proof, Leveraging Power. Before we go there, Adam, mention two or three of the books that you found most helpful to give you that clarity when you were in that point of wanting to get a, a clear idea of where you wanted to take your life. Beautiful. Yes. So the first book I recall re- 
reading was The Road Less Traveled by Scott Peck, Dr. Scott Peck. And it's a book a lot of people have heard of. And I also know there's a lot of people have never heard of that book. So that was a real important read for me early on was The Road Less Traveled. I remember reading Awaken the Giant Within, which is a very, uh, almost like an encyclopedic personal development book by Anthony Robbins. That was an impactful book for me early on. And, and I remember also reading a book called Start With Why, which is a great Simon Sinek book. That, that book happened more later on, but it's still such an important book, I think, in terms of what drives us. And that was a book that was on my reinvention path and ultimately became part of the lexicon for me, the language that I use to describe leadership and, and how it was that I, I gained greater insight into my own form of or brand of leadership. So those were really impactful books for me. And as I said, it informed me to want to share things with other people as I was learning them and applying them myself. More recently, we've started- I have another question for you. I know where you want to go. We're going to get there. Adam, in your book, Pivot, you talk about clarity and the importance of a windshield. Can you explain what you mean by that and how people can use that metaphor in their own businesses and their own lives? Pivot is really, as I said, a foundational book about how to accomplish transition. And for me, that book, it was really important when I was thinking about writing the book. And incidentally, I wasn't writing it initially for others. I, I started out with the motivation to write that book for our kids. As I said earlier, wow. we have four children and, and I really wanted them to be able to know me at a deeper level. And in particular, what I was going through at my sort of this crisis point was heading toward the proverbial midlife crisis. And that's what it looked like. Instead of the this classic midlife crisis, I was able to navigate and with the help of my beautiful wife and friends and others around me, I was able to create a midlife calling instead. And so the book it is, in essence, divided into two two areas. One is our way of seeing the world, as you said, like the windshield of a car. Often it is that we are unable to really make better decisions in our lives, those spontaneous right decisions I spoke of earlier, because the windshield is dirty. It's clouded, and it's clouded with lots of things, including our belief systems, our, our, our limiting thoughts about ourselves, our prejudices, just not being able to see the, through, through that lens clearly, including what options we have in terms of our lives. I know I didn't think I had a lot of options earlier on and when I was coming out of high school and going into college and ultimately wanting to start a family and be able to have things that, that my parents weren't able to afford to, to give to myself, to me or to my brother, I didn't think I had a lot of options. And so that's what in some respects ended me or left me thinking about professional school and going and becoming a lawyer. Clearing the windshield, as we call it, is this process of creating clarity. And that's the first half of the book Pivot. The second half of the book is really about how it is that you put some of that clarity to work, meaning what do you do with it? What are the actions that you take? And ultimately creating new behaviors that that will lead to different results. And so that's in essence the, the way the book stacks. Create clarity so you can make or have new options and then make new choices so that you do things differently and then results will change. Adam, let's drill down on that for a little bit. It seems like when people can readily acknowledge and relate to the fact that they have crud all over the windshields. Good way to um, yeah. There's just stuff that we've been driving through and unless we turn on the wipers or give it a good soaking, we're never going to get that off and it's so annoying to have bugs on the windshield. And we have things that bug us in our lives that are on our internal clarity that prevent us from taking a clear view of where we want to go. What's a technique or tool that you've found valuable to help clear the windshield? One of the most powerful techniques that, that I still use to this day is a three-part process that we call 
pause, ask, choose. So when it seems as though I'm lacking in clarity, and we all know what it feels like when you lack clarity, because it'll manifest in different ways. Like you said, you could just be a little bit confused or, or your thoughts don't feel like they're flowing, or you might even feel as though you're not as confident as you'd like to be, or you think you could be, et cetera. So in those moments where that happens, I pause, I ask a question, and then I choose something based on how I how that question lands, how I either can answer that question for myself, or if I can't answer that question right away, it also will inform me in that moment. So for example, I might pause to take a breath and think about in that moment, am I in reaction to something? Can you think of an example of when you used it or maybe when you've mentored someone to use this technique and kind of walk us through the process and what results occurred. So for myself, I was contemplating a change of career. I was looking at what I wanted to do instead of what I felt I was obliged to do or felt responsible for doing. I think a lot of people in their careers, they're really doing something at times that they don't have their heart in, but they also feel obligated and responsible to those around them and even to their employer or to their employees etc. And so for me at that time in my life, I needed to take a pause. I needed to look at the situation with a neutral lens. And by that, not looking at it as good or bad, not judging it in any way, not seeing it as fair or unfair, just being able to see it clearly. Again, that's the equivalent of squirting the windshield wiper fluid and then running the wipers to clear that space. So that's the first thing I did. I love about that description, Adam, is that it's an active process. You've really got to be on the lookout for some of these limiting beliefs coming up or assumptions that you've you've made and actually take them out of the equation. Say, no, I just need to pause and look at things how they are, not how I thought they were. And the pause, Bill, is not something that's going to maybe take a second. Sometimes it is. You can get to the point where if you practice this enough, that pause can be very quick in order to get to the next step, which is the question. But for me back then, and for many of the clients that I work with, when I'm mentoring any anything from a CEO of a Fortune 50 company or someone that's in a startup role, as we do from time to time, the pause, the pause is something that sometimes can take hours and sometimes it can take days or even weeks. It's not the goal that something will take weeks, but we have to be able to know that the space is going to be the space. If you're not able to get to a place where you can remove the judgment, it's really difficult to be able to move forward and see things more clearly or see them differently even if what you're being clouded by are those preconceived notions, those limiting beliefs as you call them, or those judgments. So that's the first thing you have to do is pause for however long it takes for you to get to be able to look at a situation without judge. And then the next step is asking, what did you think about in order to ask a better question than you were before? The the whole process of asking questions is already going to open up new doors, new pathways. And so for me at that time, I paused to see my situation for what it was, that I was unhappy doing the work I was doing. And there was no, the question I asked was, am I required to be unhappy? Am I required to keep doing this for the rest of my life or till retirement? Is there any obligation, truly like a soul contract, but at some deep level, am am I really obligated to do this work or do it this way even? for the rest of my life. And, and sure enough, those questions opened up completely new pathways for me. When you ask a better question, you typically get a better answer. And the thing about questions and answers, as I've come to understand, is they're like cause and effect. So that's the nature of the relationship between them. When you ask a question, you will get an answer. You cannot ask a question, in my opinion, without getting an answer. The only thing that I can't guarantee for clients of mine or for myself or anyone else is when you'll get the answer. That's, as I said, the part that is still a mystery 
to me, but I know sure as I know the sun is going to come up tomorrow that you ask a question at some point, you're going to receive an insight in response to that question. And it's really interesting how you ask it skillfully and you ask it clearly so that you get a response from your subconscious or your soul or some part of you responds to the question when you ask a really strong question. That's absolutely the case, or at least it's been the case. Yeah. The question and and answer. And then what did you choose? What were some of the choices you made in order to take your own life and career in a different direction? So again, once you ask these questions, and it's not one question, it can be a series of questions even. And just want to PS that as well, that a lot of people today, in my my experience, don't ask questions because they were trained early on in their life, whether it was in grade school with teachers or at home with their parents or other people that have been influential. They see questions as an indication of not knowing something. It's an in, it's a vulnerability. It, it's an insecurity because when you ask a question, other people judge you. They judge you as somebody that doesn't know the answers. And I think think we are we're constantly wanting to avoid the pain of that situation the pain of vulnerability or the pain of being seen as somehow less than so i think people stop asking questions early on in their lives and if they do ask questions if they are still curious in other words they tend to not ask the big questions or the questions that they don't have some inkling about the answer to and so my suggestion to folks is that if you want to really practice this and get the great benefit of it you've got to recognize that questions aren't are are not a sign of of stupidity or a sign of weakness. They're really a great strength. And when I'm either hiring someone or I'm advising a leader about hiring, I'm always suggesting that you look for the curious ones, the people that are not afraid to ask the tough questions and and not afraid about what that means. They're not making a meaning out of that indicates that somehow or another they are deficient in some way. So you ask a question and then you get to based on what feedback you you receive, whether that's questions that you ask other people and they're responding to you, they're questions that you ask and you're, again, either guided in some way to those answers internally or externally. But when you get that new information, when you get that those new insights, that's when you get new choices. You can make the choice. Frequently, my wife will point this out to me, that when something is going sideways, it's going, there's, it's unfolding differently than I expected it to. Adam, for an example, vacation wasn't going the way you wanted it to, or- or a trip to a store, pick something that you could actually share that Randy had worked with you with. Okay, so one of the one of the most impactful conversations I ever had with my wife was when I, maybe six months after I'd had that faux heart attack, as we called it, and I, I walked in the house late one night and it was dark, it was cold, it was rainy. I walked in dripping and I looked at her and I immediately saw on her face that I had done it again. I had done something I'd done previously in the past. And that was not only missing getting home on time for dinner, but missing the opportunity to even hug or kiss the kids or read to them a bedtime story. And I saw her face and I, I immediately just, my, my heart sunk and I walked up to her and I looked her in the eye and I said, if I keep doing what I'm doing, which was being a lawyer at that time, I said, if I keep doing what I'm doing, you're going to be a widow. And she paused. In that moment, she took a pause and she took a deep breath and she smiled and she looked at me and she asked me this question. She said, first she said, we'll figure it out. That was the statement she said. But then she she said to me, what's the creative opportunity right now in this moment? And that's been a question that's that- That's a great one. It is a great question. And what's truly, I think, empowering about that question is that anybody that's going through a difficult time, whether it was because of COVID or related to their business, or maybe it's something in the personal area,
area. If you ask that question, what is the creative opportunity in this moment? You will get a host of answers that you may not even expect. And I know for me, that was the case. When she said, what's the creative opportunity? I started to think differently about what could be the case for me. What could my life feel like? What could I be doing with my life that would not have me feeling miserable? I gave a TED talk a couple of years ago about this very topic. And actually it became the subject of a book that we wrote and was launched this past January called the I Love My Life Challenge, which is all about whether or not it's possible for us to love our lives no matter what. You oh, think that's about- a big part of it, really. No matter what the circumstances, no matter how many days you've been in pandemic lockdown, no matter how hard it is to not be with your friends and your family. Tell me more about how this challenge has helped people. I can tell you where it started for me was when my wife asked me that question. And I immediately started to think about what could my life feel like? Instead mm. of feeling, instead of starting the day and putting my feet on the floor and feeling anxiety, which is the way I used to begin the day, could I actually put my feet on the floor and feel something different? Now, I started to ponder that question and I didn't have answers as I was suggesting earlier. The answers didn't start to come until later. And in fact, it was one evening when I was having difficulty going to sleep, maybe anxious already about how I was going to sleep or how I'd feel when I woke up the next morning. I couldn't get to bed, so I was watching TV and this old movie, Jerry Maguire, came on, which is still one of my favorite movies of all time. And there's a great scene in that movie where Jerry is speaking with his mentor, Dickie Fox. And Dickie says to Jerry, he goes, I've failed just as many times in my life as I've succeeded, but I love my life and I love my wife and I wish you my kind of success. And when I saw that, when I heard that night, I went to sleep feeling differently. And when I woke up the next morning, I put my feet on the floor and instead of feeling this anxiety or this even this dread at the beginning of the day, which is how I was feeling for years, when I when my feet hit the floor that morning, I spontaneously said those four simple but profound words out loud. I love my life. And that was the question that ultimately I posed to this TED audience. Is it possible to love our lives no matter what? And that's in many ways been what my life has been in, in, as a journey since, since that moment in time, whether through all of the ups and downs, and we all have them. I've had tremendous success in my life, but I've also screwed up a lot. I've also made mistakes. I have so much to be grateful for, but I'm not happy all the time. So well, you're also posing a big challenge to people. You're saying, I don't want to just like my life a little bit more. I don't want my life to be okay. You're saying, I love my life. Can you say that and mean it no matter what? That really clears the windshield. Because what do people have to do in order to really love their life all the time, no matter what, even when things are hard? Do you love that you're heading in the right direction? Do you love that you're working on developing new things? These are the reminders and the kinds of directions that really make an impact. So I applaud you for setting the bar so high. That really makes a difference. And I hope when people listen to this, they resonate with the challenge that you're laying down. Let me say this too, about because I think this is where it can get a little confusing too. I'm not talking about creating a life of perfection or having your life be perfect so that you can love it. I'm talking about something that is much more attainable for most people, and that is to be able to make incremental change, to make incremental improvements. And when you are able to create just small changes for the better, small improvements, 1% changes, over time, what I've seen in so many people, clients, and certainly in my own personal life, is that things will transform in ways that are significant. 
again over time, one incremental improvement at a time. And that's what the I Love My Life Challenge is really all about. It's it sounds perfection. It sounds like it's the sheer definition of momentum. 1% plus 1% plus 1%. And you have all of these compounded effects pushing, urging, guiding you in the direction of creating a life that the clarity has produced. Now, just like dominoes, Bill, it's a really just, good, they're not only able to knock over other dominoes when they're set up sequentially to do, but a domino typically can knock over another one that's slightly larger and slightly heavier. And so when you think about what we're talking about here, incremental improvement ultimately leads to not only your ability to see more clearly, but to be able to act more decisively. Ultimately, I would say, and this is a later chapter in the book, Pivot, it pro- it enables you to be more resilient. Because if you can love your life no matter what, Bill, the pandemic isn't going to take you out. And, and by the way, this particular disruption so many people have been impacted by this last year isn't the last disruption that businesses, small businesses or large businesses will face. So, so the question is, how do you develop resilience now before you need it? I have a question for you, Adam. Are you ready for the my quest for this lightning round? Absolutely, Bill. Bring it on. All right. So at the beginning of the interview, I asked you about a person who influenced you in your life growing up, and you mentioned your grandmother. When you were a teenager, Adam, what's a song you loved? Stairway to Heaven. Who didn't? And how does that go? Yeah, there you go. I'm going to go get my electric guitar and I'll I'll show you how it goes, Bill. Excellent. Excellent. So your mission is to help close the gaps and help people develop that clarity and that resilience so they can pivot and create lives that they love all the time, no matter what. What's the most important and effective way for you to get the word out about that mission each and every week? We have a podcast called the Conscious Pivot Podcast, which is all about people making changes. And ultimately, I ask all of my guests two questions. One, how they define resilience and what resilience looks like for them. And ultimately, whether they love their lives and and what does it look like to actually love your life? And again, what you'll find is that nobody's living a perfect life, but there is a difference between someone that can still love and be grateful for their life no matter what, and someone that is seeing it through a different lens. What's the best life advice you ever got? To follow my instincts. That's advice that my dad gave me when I was probably 13 or 14 years old. And to this day, I think developing self-trust is a big part of more, it's both personal development work as well as business development work because great leaders are able to trust themselves and therefore be able to make those spontaneous right decisions. And the same thing goes in our personal lives. Trust, self-trust is really important. And when I'm lacking in clarity, One of those things when I pause is I'm looking to feel what's going on in the inside, like my dad said, to to be able to find the trust in my own internal guidance and then to follow that is really the best advice I can give myself. What would you say is the best $100 or so purchase you've made in the last six months? Best $100? I've got a brand new camera and that for the top of my laptop. And we do a lot of virtual training. I keynote for organizations all over the globe. And that camera is so important to be able to really connect with your audience and have them be able to, to see and feel you. So that was a great purchase. And I think it was about 100 bucks. Complete the sentence. I know that I'm being successful when. I know that I'm being successful when I'm following my heart and I'm behaving compassionately. And Adam, if you think back over the last year, what's the most important habit, routine, or belief that you've stopped that's brought you the most pleasure or personal satisfaction? I think I'm always in the process of, of stopping the habit of self, of, of beating myself up for mistakes. So I'm a recovering perfectionist. In, in that regard. And that it, in many ways enables me to share and t- even teach with other people about that principle because it is, it's not a one and done. It's a daily vigilance and a daily path and practice. And I think 
there's, there's, there's almost nothing that's, that pays a greater dividend than that level of diligence toward uh, greater self-acceptance and self-love, unconditional self-love. Adam, you've shared so many great ideas on my quest for the best today. I want to thank you so much for sharing with us what it was like growing up with your grandmother and how she taught you about the power of the pause. You talked about how you recognized during a very scary moment in your life on a gurney in the emergency room, how you felt like you were just blowing it, even though on the outside you had achieved everything that people aspire to. You knew that you weren't living the life you wanted to live, that you were meant to live and where you could contribute the most. Thank you so much for your commitment to filling the gap and helping others make the connection between their visions and how they want to live. And talking about how your experience led from not calling it a midlife crisis, but answering a midlife calling. You help people by talking about the windshield metaphor. And that led into a discussion about pause, ask, and choose, and how important it is to revisit that to make sure that you're developing the self-trust and self-guidance that'll lead to the life that makes the greatest difference. Adam Martell, Markel, thank you so much for joining me on my quest for the best. Thank you, Bill. It's been a pleasure. Adam, before we say goodbye for now, where is a place that people could go online and find out more about you and your work? Certainly for leaders of organizations that are looking to create greater connection with, with others in their company. We love to deliver keynote talks, workshops on resilience, et cetera. You can go to adammarkell.com to get more information, watch videos, see demo reels, and, and see what some of our very long client lists say about the work that we do in the world. Well, Adam, we're going to link to your website, as well as your social media, as well as to the book, Pivot the Art and Science of Reinventing Your Career in Life, as well as your other books. Adam Markell, author of Pivot, The Art and Science of Reinventing Your Career in Life. Thank you once again for joining me on my quest for the best. Thank you, Bill. It's been a pleasure. Well, that went quickly once we got started. It did. It did. Thank you for uh, for moving it right along. I appreciate it greatly and for the time and your flexibility with the technical issue we started out with. So. Yeah. I thought that you were really at your best when you started telling stories. Teaching on podcasts isn't as doesn't gather the same type of attention and intensity of, of connection with people as telling stories and letting them relate to you. When you talked about the story where you were in the ER room, I could just feel people listening in when they're going to hear this. That's so good. Thank you for that feedback. I really appreciate it. I hope, I hope, when are you, when does this podcast go live? So it'll be. Hi, this is Bill. And I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on my quest for the best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app. So you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on my quest for the best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.